The Lord speaks to us today from His Word in Titus chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. This is God's Word. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the Word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the Word of our God stands forever. Amen. You may be seated. Father in heaven, we would ask now that you'd be so mindful of us, your people who are gathered here in your presence. We need so many different things. Every person in every pew has spiritual needs. They have burdens that they carry into this place, and they are looking today for guidance and instruction from you. They're looking for comfort from your word. They're looking for for correction and for uh, wisdom so that they might uh, walk in the narrow way that leads to life. Uh, Lord, there are some of us, however, in this room that are hardened uh, towards you. There is undoubtedly that's the case. Some of us who are uh, joining us even via live stream this morning who are, who are present in a way of speaking but who are spiritually absent and want to have nothing to do with the things of the Lord. Uh, Lord, we just simply acknowledge there's all kinds before your presence this day. Would you know us? Would you search us out? Would you root out any evil way in us? And would you indeed lead us in that way everlasting, regardless of whether we want it or not? Come by the power of your Spirit and show yourself mighty to save, and the Lord and ruler, yes, even over our souls, as you are over all of life. Come and speak to us now through your servant Paul here in Titus chapter 2. Challenge us and grow us in the way of godliness, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. It's usually in the month of January that we here at Cornerstone take time to renew our vision as a congregation. We've often done things, what we call vision sermons, where we would... We would look at our particular vision statement. Uh, it always comes up in some way, shape, or form during January because we, we need to start off a year remembering who we are as the people of God. And I just want to remind you of our vision, those of you who are members here at Cornerstone, those of you who are visitors here, just to be aware of what we're committed to as a local congregation. Our vision statement's pretty straightforward. Uh, that we are here to glorify God in the gospel together as disciples who make disciples. 
That's what we're striving to do, to glorify God in the gospel. We call that worship uh, as a primary focus of what it is that we do, even though we want that to be all of life. It flows from and it flows out of um, our worship here at the body of Christ. We do that together. However, it's in fellowship with one another. It's not a Lone Ranger Christianity. There's a community of faith. We need one another, even as Paul is going to teach us today from Titus 2. But we're not just sitting around and looking at each other. We're on a path. We're disciples. We're, we're glorifying God in the gospel together as disciples. We're on a journey to heaven. We're on a journey to meet with the Lord Jesus Christ in glory. We can't wait to be in the new heavens and the new earth uh, where Christ is coming to the fullness of his kingdom and, and, and sin and death have been utterly destroyed and all has been made right in the judgment of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are those who are disciples walking towards that end. And as we go, we make disciples. We're on mission. We're evangelizing. We're sharing the truth of the scriptures. We're, we're uh, seeking to see the gospel go as far as the curse is found. So you see in that vision statement, worship, fellowship, discipleship, and, and mission. Uh, we want to be about that as a congregation. Well, here in Titus chapter 2, we really have a focus on discipleship. If we were going to title it one particular thing, we'd say, well, here we're getting instruction on discipleship. What's interesting about Titus chapter 2 specifically is that it's the Apostle Paul writing to this young protege in the faith, who he calls his child in the faith, in chapter 1 of Titus, and he's actually teaching him what he ought to be preaching. He's teaching him the things that he ought to be saying to the congregation that he's been called to shepherd and care for. This, this new fledgling nascent congregation there in Crete, that large island in the Mediterranean Sea. God has gone to Crete and there he has begun to transform lives and souls. And now through uh, the Lord's ministry among his people, he has raised up Titus to be this young pastor who's there, we're told in the last chapter, to put things into order. Things were not in order in Crete. There was work to be done within that congregation. He's been put there to put things into order. And we're going to see the kind of things he's meant to put into order there in Crete. And you'll see it's the kind of things that we constantly need being put into order here at Cornerstone and in our own lives. And so he says, I want to train you, Titus, in how to preach and teach to the congregation there in Crete. And in doing so, he's also training us about what we should be focused on as a congregation in raising up and making disciples for the Lord Jesus Christ as we go into this year and in every year of our existence. And so we're going to focus on teaching because notice that's how the text begins. But as for you, teach. That's what Titus is supposed to do. This is about what he's supposed to be teaching. And if you've spent any time here at Cornerstone, you know we believe in teaching. We believe in preaching. We believe it is one of the chief means which the Lord has given to raise up and give shape to his body. And you can see the priority of that given here in Titus chapter 2. Here's what I want you to teach. And so I want to look at this, uh, this text with you in four ways. I want you to see what we are to teach. I want you to see how we are to teach. I want you to see to whom we are to teach. And I want you to see why we are to teach. What we're to teach, how we're to teach, to whom we're to teach, and why we are to teach. And I want to go ahead and answer those questions for you in case uh, you get lost or I get lost in the midst of the sermon, uh, just so that you can know the answers to these questions. What are we to teach? Very simply, sound doctrine. That's what he tells us. That's what we are to teach. How are we to teach? With our lips and with our life. 
That's his answer. With our lips, there's a verbal component to teaching, and there's a visual uh, component to teaching. We teach with our lips. We teach with our life. To whom do we teach? We teach all people at every age and stage of life. That's what he tells us in this text. We teach all people at every age and stage of life. And why do we teach? In order that we might beautify the gospel in the world. In order that we might beautify the gospel in the world. The language he uses in verse 10, that our lives might adorn the gospel of God, our Savior. That's what we're talking about here. So those are, that's where we're going this morning. Let's start with number one, teaching what? Sound doctrine. Or more specifically, if you'll look at verse one, what accords with sound doctrine? We'll make a point of that. As we're looking at sound doctrine, I want you to see three things about sound doctrine. Sound doctrine is true. Sound doctrine is for training. And sound doctrine is for transformation. Those are the three things that Paul teaches us here. It's true. That's why we teach it. It's for training. It raises us up in the faith and transformative. It actually brings us from, from darkness into light, brings us from death into life. Now, what do we mean by true? Well, that word for doctrine is literally the word teaching. It's the word that was used in the previous chapter on verse 9 of chapter 1, speaking of an elder's call. They are those who are to instruct in the faith. Same language. They are to teach. But in the context here in Titus, when he's translating the word doctrine, it means he's saying to Titus, Titus, I want you to teach the whole body of Christian doctrine. I want you to teach, as Jude would say it, the faith once delivered to the saints. I want, as Paul would say it at the end of Acts, I want you to teach the whole counsel of God, the whole body of Christian doctrine. Um, that's what I want you. I want you to major on the centralities of the redemptive realities that have been spoken of in the Bible from Genesis all the way to Revelation. I want you to preach and teach doctrine. This whole body of the teaching of Christian faith. Now, how do we know that that's the impulse of the Apostle Paul as he's teaching to Titus? How do we know he's focusing in that way? Well, it's that word sound, that adjective that's mentioned here. It's a word that Paul borrows from the medical field. If we were to just translate it uh, literally, it would mean healthy. I, I want you to teach healthy doctrine. Doctrine, in other words, that's going to beget health in those who receive it. It's from those who, who take it in. It's the same word that Luke actually uses to describe Jesus' miracles in the gospel. So when, when Jesus would approach someone who's disabled, he approached someone who needs healing, when he healed them, he made them sound. The, the word can literally mean he made them whole. He brought them back to, to fullness or to wholeness. What's fascinating about that is, in a sense, he's saying, I want you, Titus, to serve up doctrinal elixir. Serve up doctrinal medicine. I want you to be a kind of physician of the soul that is, that is portioning out the truth of God's word for the health of God's people, that they might be healthy, growing, and ultimately made complete. If, if we were to summarize it, we might say, I want you to preach the whole counsel of God until all of God's people are made whole. I want you to preach the whole of God's counsel until all of God's people are made whole. Now think for a minute, why is Paul concerned about this? 
Why is he saying this to Titus? Well, it's not because he was fearful that Titus wouldn't necessarily do this. Titus had already been trained in these things. He knew this instruction from the Apostle Paul. He's coming here reminding him and urging him, probably doing that what we would call encourage. That is to give courage to Titus because it's going to be a hard work that he's going to be about. Why? Because we were told in chapter 1 there's false teachers. There's false teachers in Crete. Uh, We're told that they've been teaching things like Jewish myths, saddling up next to the truth falsehoods and tales that aren't true and aren't correct and shouldn't be expounded. They've, they've piled into the truth human commandments. They've given opinions of men. They've lumped them in with the truth of God's Word. Now, these have come and they've upset the families of Crete, we're told. Uh, there's consternation, frustration, and division that's being sown within this body because these false teachers, he tells us, are preaching and teaching for shameful gain. In other words, they're teaching and preaching with themselves in view, not the sheep in view. I want you, as my called man of God, to preach and teach the Word in Crete. I want you to preach sound doctrine. In other words, I don't want you to do what they're doing, cherry-picking what they want to talk about. Emphasizing particular doctrines and neglecting others. Um, Teaching those things that are important to them, but may not be actually in a part or accord with the counsel of the whole counsel of God and of sound doctrine. It's really quite a case study if we were to look back at Titus chapter 1 and do a deep dive in the last half of Titus 1. You know, we'd find, we'd find in some ways a sketch of how false teaching begins in the church. A couple of points on this front. False teaching usually begins in the body of Christ when a partial truth has been taken and it's been adopted as a whole truth, as the complete truth. A partial truth. It's something true in what they say. Isn't that how an occult begins? You know, the leader has something true to say that's persuasive. He he talks about the culture needing this particular thing, and he emphasizes it, and he excludes so much of the other counsel of God, and he doesn't teach soundly, and what begins to happen is an inadequate and incomplete reception of faith and truth happens in the body, and it produces ill fruit. Or he teaches it twistedly. Like when you look back at the heresies of the early church with regards to the person of Jesus Christ. You know, was he fully God and fully man? How does that work? Uh, How could God be dying on the cross? Does God die on the cross? Well, he he must not be fully God. Or is he really a man? No, maybe he's just like a man. Maybe he's just similar to a man. When you begin to look over these different heresies that the church has struggled with, what you find is those heresies are heresies in large part, they become compelling because they get a portion of the truth correct and then they have a slight error that filters in and contaminates that truth and it sends people far away over time from that which is actually true. Truth gets twisted. Truth gets taught partially as if it's whole. Truth has men's opinions getting added in. Doesn't that happen all the time? He tells us here, actually, in Titus chapter 1, that they were teaching the doctrines or the commandments of men. Paul uses the same word in 1 Timothy. Jesus uses that word in Mark chapter 7. In other words, they're teaching things like, here's what God says, and lumping in with that, they're putting their own opinions and perspectives in there. The Apostle Paul is saying, we don't need a, a Titusian opinion. We don't need a Titus opinion. We don't need a Nate opinion. 
We need to teach sound doctrine. The whole counsel of God for the health of God's people. And isn't that remarkable as the Apostle Paul is speaking this? It would be like he could be, he could be whispering into our ears of the 21st century. As we look out across evangelicalism today and we hear, we see people latch a hold of something that has truth in it, but it's taken as a whole and it winds up sending them into extremes. And we begin to see twisted or ill fruit come from it. Or truth that's there but is contaminated. Or a man who pivots in his message from the, he's preaching God's word for 10 minutes and then he preaches Nate for five and then he goes back to the word. Ooh, how tricky that is. You know, Lord, give us discerning ears. Let us be Bereans, constantly going to the word. Is this coming from God's word? We want sound doctrine, that which is the whole counsel of God for the making of God's people whole. Now, one of the ways in which you see the phraseology of verse 1 so important given by the Apostle Paul is notice he doesn't just say sound doctrine. He doesn't just say, be sure your catechism questions are memorized. Be sure that you've got your answers right and you've got your Bible verses locked away and, and that you can give a defense for the hope that is within you. Yes, you must be able to do that. We've got to get answers right. Hasn't that been what I've been spending time on the last five minutes? The importance of having right, right teaching? He also says that's not enough. Getting the truth locked away correctly in your mind is not the end game. In fact, that's the beginning of the game. That's the catalyzing effect that actually brings change to life. You see how he phrased it? Teach those things which are in accord with sound doctrine. Not just sound doctrine, but in accord with them. In other words, bring everything else in life that matches up to sound doctrine, bring it into relationship with it. Help people understand how it connects to life practically, its applications and implications. Show how it's a, it's a light unto our way and a lamp unto our feet. Show us how God is actually makes difference in all of life when it's applied in its varying spheres. Help people to see that when they're afraid to actually share the gospel with their neighbor, it might be because they, ha they fear man more than God, which is a major doctrinal problem. It might be that they think God can't use me, which Corinthians 1 tells us he loves to use weak things for his glory. That's a doctrinal problem. It might be that we're holding resentment to the, the Lord for something that He did in our life that we haven't been able to make sense of. And it could be that the major doctrinal problem underneath that, underneath that is we're doubting His goodness and we're doubting His love and we need to circle back to the Scriptures and know the narrative of redemption so we can begin to move forward in forgiveness and life and freedom again. It might be that we're ensnared in sexual sin because we truly believe that it'll be the next time we click and the next illicit affair that we have, that's where satisfaction will come. When Jesus tells us in John chapter 4, clearly in the counsel of the Word, that only He quenches the thirst of our souls. You see? That's sound doctrine. Did you feel health when we did that? You should have. You should have. You saw how doctrine was put to work. How it was put in accord with the reality of the needs of God's people. He says, I want you to be about sound doctrine. They don't need Titus. They need His Word. They need His whole counsel. And they need it taught with wisdom and understanding and application. That the God's people might experience His truth, 
might be trained by it, might be transformed by it. Now, how is he going to teach this? This is what he's going to teach. How is he going to teach it? Well, he's going to teach it with his lip, and he's going to teach it with his life. Right? Necessarily, there's going to be verbal components to the teaching. And, you know, can you imagine trying to raise children and, and you know, not have access to any form of communication? I realize there are people who, who cannot speak by physical malady or challenge, and they learn. What is it, sign language? Or they learn to point and direct and guide. Why do we do those things? Because it's so important to be able to communicate. That there's a, there's a way in which a word focus communication actually creates and establishes the foundation for true understanding of sound doctrine. And that's why in, in chapter 1, Paul says, I've been entrusted with preaching. He uses the word preaching. Elders are, are guided to instruct. Titus is supposed to teach these things with sound speech, we're told in verse 8. Women are told, older women to serve younger women. Here in verses 3 through 5, they are to teach one another. In those, it's, it's all over the place. There's a verbal component that's inescapable. But that's not all that there is. There's also a visual component to the teaching and discipleship that must go on in the body of Christ. There must be models, lives on display for the understanding and the growth of God's people unto godliness. Where do I see that? Well, multiple places, but let's look at verses 7 and 8. Titus is said to show himself. This is a show and tell. He's to tell and he's to show. Show himself in all respects to be, noticed a model of good works. That word model is the word for type. We actually use that in interpretation of the Old Testament. When we talk about David being a type of Christ or, or the Exodus being a type of redemption. We do that all the time here at Cornerstone to better understand the whole of the Old Testament to the New Testament. It means there is a pattern that's in place or something here that speaks to something here. He's saying our lives should be a type. Uh, Titus, your life as a minister of the gospel should be a type. You ought to be able to say, follow me as I follow Christ. Uh, older women should be able to say that to younger women. Older men should say that to, to younger, younger men. That they might be exemplary and actually know how to do what it is that they are to do. You, you think of how often you've received a clear instruction. Let's say you've received it. But now you're saying to yourself, I just don't know what to do. I don't know how to do it. Like I, you, know, you know, I'm a husband and now a father, and, and I know I need to be leading my family and family worship. And I didn't have a father that did. I, I've received the instruction, and you know, Pastor Nate or someone has told me quote unquote, how to do it. But if I could see it, if I could see like somebody do it, I think I'd probably be able to envision what that might look like in my context. How often do we need that? We need someone to say, I'll walk with you as we discern daily light for the things in which God has called us to do. How often if we don't get the visual, we don't get the model, the teaching just lodges away and we don't do it. And it just winds up being very flat, not three-dimensional. It doesn't become transformative because there's not been a life-on-life -life discipleship that's emerged in the teaching process. Titus tells us this is pastoral ministry, but notice he's giving older and younger throughout this text. Why? Because we should learn from each other. 
You know, that's going to happen this morning. It's probably already happened multiple times where conversations have been had and meetings have took place, with, you know, whether it's in between the rows or in, in, build, in, in, in rooms or, or outside and you froze to death. Whatever it was that you did, wherever you had this meeting, you learned something and you gleaned wisdom and you're walking with each other. Mentorships and examples are taking place. This is how we are to teach. This is what the body of Christ should, should look like, a lip and a life commitment, a verbal and a visual commitment. But I want you to see thirdly, whom are we to teach? We're to teach all people in every age and stage of life. That's what he tells us in this text. He didn't leave anybody out. You know, let me ask you, are you an old or a young man or an old woman or a young woman? There's, there, you're, you're one of those, right? He's, he's speaking comprehensively here right? And notice he is speaking to the particular congregation that he has to minister at in Crete, which let me tell you, this was not the easiest of pastoral calls. You know, this is, you know, as a minister, sometimes you get reputation, you hear of the reputations of certain churches, right? You know, this search committee, you know, calls and they're asking like, hey, we're looking for a minister. And you go, oh boy, I know the story at this church, you know. It's a litany of division, right, that's been there. Crete is kind of like, uh, Crete's looking for a pastor. <laughs> what, who will we feed to the lions, <laughs> you know, to go, to go into Crete? It's a little bit like that. Why do I say that? Because in Titus chapter 1, do you remember how Paul spoke of them? He actually quoted one of their prophets, and, and, and here, here's the words. Here's the description of people in Crete. Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. And then you, then you half expect Paul to say, I feel like that's really harsh. I met some really nice people there. But Paul's next words are, it is true. <laughs> You're like, oh, okay, all right, <laughs> it's true. The apostle said it. it, it is true, all right? And so here, this is the situation that Titus finds himself uh, in. And so he's actually instructed here, teach them in sound truth, but also rebuke them, correct them. There's going to have to be varying levels of tone and firmness. There's going to have to be a pastoral wisdom to know how to raise up and care for this flock. And he said, I want to, I'm going to unpack it for you simply. I'm going to go age and stage by age and stage to tell you what you need to do, Titus. Boy, I tell you what, as a young minister, what a great, what a grateful gift this is. Uh, let me tell you exactly how to get at this. Look, look, he starts with older men. He says, older men, verse 2, be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in the faith, in love, and steadfastness. What a great instruction for older men. You know, we have a stereotypical older man in our minds, do we not? You've seen, you've seen the movie Grumpy Old Men, right? You know, they're grumpy. They, they complain, they're easily perturbed by youth, uh, they, they, they're set in their ways. Uh, notice the language, dignified, self-controlled, sound, whole, healthy, in faith, in love. The word for steadfastness is patience. This is, this is apropos instruction for seasoned men. And, and what he's saying here is not to say, these are meant, you know, we hear the word dignified and we think to ourselves, you know, very stiff. That's not what he means. He's not dour or curmudgeonly. He means to say, here, we want older men for the weight of their years of experience to match with their spiritual maturity. 
there to be a gravity about these men. Be a gravity about these men. You know, there's something troubling with a flippant older man. He knows more. He should know better. His gravity of years should be translated into a maturity of experience with a deposit of grace that needs to be poured into others. That's what he's saying. Those are the kind of men we want to see. And then he goes to older women. He says, reverent. Literally holy. We want women who are holy in behavior. Notice, not slanderers. That might be helpful for older women to hear. Literally gossips. Don't be gossips. Or slaves to much wine. Now you remember what was said about Cretans. So this is not just picking on women in particular. They're lazy gluttons. There is a tendency towards the appetites of the flesh. These are, this is the context in which Titus is in, but this shoe fits, doesn't it? it you know, when we, when we think of, of older women, we sometimes think they're, they're, they're what, they gather for lunch with their cucumber sandwiches and their fruit tea and they gossip. They're looking for news. They want to they wanna nibble on the tantalizing. And they might have one too many glasses of red or white. So this is not the women that we're, we're looking for. We're looking for women who use their mouths not to gossip, but to teach. Who, whose investment over the years by the Spirit of the living God is now being translated into the next generation. Not to tear down with slander, but to build up with sound doctrine, with truth and experience now wisely disseminated. And what kind of things would they say to younger women, verses 4 and 5, to love their husbands, children, pretty good instruction, uh, to be self-controlled. Are you catching a theme here with the self-control thing? It's going to come up again. Pure, working at home, kind, submissive. This is a pretty good word to uh, younger women who are married with with children to be instructed in this way. How eager they often begin, don't they, with, you know, I've got a husband, I've got a family, the domestic arts, you know, this is going to be amazing. And then they get a few years in and this husband is a problem. He is a sinner and he is uh, difficult and children are exasperating and I'm only losing my temper on the hour, every hour, you know, uh, as I work with them. This, this is the reality. This is feet, you know, kind of hit the floor kind of stuff. And very often can it move towards a kind of nagginess, complaininess, resentment, a bitterness. And he's addressing them very poignantly in the, in the place in which they're at. And he realizes they may begin to opine for other circumstances in other places. But but the Lord will provide for them in the midst of their way. If they have an older woman who's walking with them, can you imagine the conversation when you say, yeah, I just can't get my three-year-old to sit in church. And that older woman says, I've heard of this. I've been there. Let's walk together. Right? This isn't the first time in human history that this is an experienced You notice how helpful that is? How helpful has that been in your life when someone has done that? Huge. Hugely helpful. He's structuring in such a way so that Titus and older men would be that for younger men, that older women who would be trained in season would do that for younger women. So don't you see one of the beauties of the preaching and teaching ministry of the church is that the pastor doesn't do all the preaching and teaching. Isn't that awesome? 
That's really great because he has something very important in terms of his calling to do. And what he does is absolutely necessary and essential, but his voice is not sufficient for the life of the congregation. We need the body of Christ. We need each other. In, in that work. And, and thus here he speaks to these bond servants. These, we, it's not a perfect parallel to our situation of employees, but I think a general equity principle is in place here. He says, I want you to be submissive to masters. Not constantly goading against the authority that is, is over you. Be well-pleasing. Don't be a thorn in their flesh in the midst of it. Seek actually to please. Do not be argumentative. Constantly, when they say white, you say black. Sometimes just for spite. And, and not pilfer. Don't look for ways that you can, you can finagle and swindle things out of them that they wouldn't want to give you. That ultimately is called stealing. Don't pilfer. Now, when you see these instructions as to whom we are, we're to instruct notice in the sphere of vocation our different statuses, our age and stage, their different callings that the Lord has, has given to us. This, I mean, however it is you structure it, you know, whether this is the makings of a, of a women's ministry or a men's ministry or a beginning of a vocational Sunday school to talk about your role in life, that, that, however, whatever platforms you use, that's, that's not the thing. It's the principle of what the teaching is. How is it that the church of Jesus Christ is going to accomplish this kind of community so that soundness in faith becomes the fruit of the body of, of Christ? So what we teach, how we teach, to whom we teach, why, why we teach. We said this at the very beginning. We teach to beautify the gospel in the world. To beautify the gospel in the world. There's actually three different times in this text that Paul says to Titus, you need to be concerned about the witness of your life in the world. You need to be concerned about the witness of your life in, in the world. In verse 5, he says, don't revile. Don't, don't revile the, the Word of God. In other words, don't have people look at you and discredit the Word of God because they know you're a Christian. That, 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 that ought not be the case. Um. It says to, to Titus, Titus, speak with sound speech so as those who might bring a charge with you will be put to shame. In other words, those false teachers who are going to come and attack you, they're going to, they're going to show up like Pharisees in your teaching. And they're going to start asking you questions. They're going to go after you. Speak soundly. Speak with health. Speak with wisdom. So that when that charge comes, you, you know that you're able to, actually, they're able to be put to shame. There's not a charge that can, can actually be brought against you. There's, it's full of integrity. That's the word that he actually uses there. And then he says here at the end, in verse 10, with regards to bondservants, but in some ways a catch-all of the whole of the instruction, because he's going to talk about the gospel. In fact, next week in verses 11 to 14, he's going to tell us about the power of the gospel in just like a beautifully rich statement in Titus 2. But he just hints at it here at the end. He says, I want you to adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. Now, Adorn. What does he mean by that? Well, I'll appeal to, to the husbands in, in this room for just a minute and, 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 and serious uh, boyfriends and, and, and fiancés in this room. Um, you, you know what, it, you know, your, your girlfriend, your fiancé, your wife is always beautiful. Right? She's just, she's always beautiful, right? 
And then there are times where she really reminds you. You know, it's anniversary. It's February the 15th, not the 14th. <laughs> when you go out for dinner and she, she dresses up. And the woman that you always find beautiful, you stop and go, wow. She's adorned. Our lives should be as such where when people are looking and watching at us, the gospel is always beautiful, but then they see it change and work in our life, and they go, wow, look at what the Lord has done. Look at what the Lord has done. Look at the beauty of what the Lord has created. To beautify the doctrine of God, our Savior, should be our goal in the world should be our mission in the world. That, that we would, as Jesus put it in Matthew chapter 5, in the world, go and perform good works that those who would watch would see those good works and do what? Glorify God who is in heaven. That's what he says. That those, that those we should have our good works seen. Notice the way Titus is instructed. Go show yourself in good works. Show yourself to be an example. Not so that people will say to you, man, he's awesome. But they'd say, God is awesome. Do you, do you mean this kind of change happened to the likes of someone like Titus? I've got to look into the gospel. That's the most beautiful thing I've ever seen before. What would it look like for your life to beautify, to adorn the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ because these commands have become increasingly sweet to you? Well, let me, let me just encourage you for just a second to do a few things as we conclude. How, how can we apply you know, this, this text? I think one of the first things that we have to do is to do a character inventory of our lives, don't we? That's what a text like this would call for. Do a character inventory of your life. You'll see in the taking of the message home on the back of the bulletin, I'm going to say, ask yourself, are you a young man or an old man? Be truthful. Um, are you an old woman or a young woman? Be truthful. Put yourself in the category, listen to the instruction. How do you need to hear it? Do an inventory. Be honest. Do an inventory. And as you do an inventory and you're specific and you don't lie to yourself or, or, or to God, begin to say, what in me is disbelieving in sound doctrine that I would be more drawn to what Jesus says not to do or to whom Jesus says not to be than to Christ and to follow His Word? What have I believed? What lie have I believed? Trace it. Whether it's, whether it's spouting off in anger because of impatience, have, have, is, is, is the doctrine you've forgotten is that you're not king and Lord, but that Jesus is? And all the things He brings into your life, even the cracked pipes that flooded your home, He did because He loves you, and He's growing you more into His likeness through suffering, that you might be sanctified and look more like Jesus, and therefore adorn the gospel. Yes, that's what he's doing. It's always what he's doing. He's a heavenly father. He's a father who loves his children. And even when he disciplines his children, why? It's to bring forth a fruitful harvest of righteousness. That's why he's doing it. Look at where it is that you, your character is not where it needs to be. Trace it to what you're disbelieving. 
Spend time there. Memorize scriptures there. Plead with the Holy Spirit there. Don't just this morning, which is what is the temptation? Let me tell you your temptation because it's mine. It's the same. You think it's different. It's not. It's exactly the same. We will leave this morning and there will be a temptation to put none of this to work. Right? You'll be like, that is so good. I need to remember that. What's for lunch? That's what you'll do. Because that's what I do. I had someone uh, three weeks ago say to me, uh, they, they said, you know, when you said three weeks ago and they said it to me, I was like, man, that's pretty good. I should remember that. I, <laughs> I needed that on Tuesday. My goodness. You know, like I, I'm, I'm trying to learn these things too, right? We're in this, that work together. We don't, don't have everything figured out along those lines. If we don't actually do the follow through of these things, exercising the spiritual muscles, pleading with the Holy Spirit to do it, you know what? It'll be like the seed that pops on the top of the soil and the bird eats it. And a lot of Sunday mornings, aren't they like that? To work this into the soil, to do that character inventory, to trace it out, to, to have a three by five card or, well, you're a 21st century people. You probably have an app for this or something, but, but, but something to remind you to memorize scripture or whatever it would be. You need that. But I want you to, to think in this. Character inventory, draw it directly to sound doctrine. And then thirdly, is anybody discipling you? Are you open to someone speaking into your life? I mean, really. Younger men? Open to having someone speak? Oh, yeah. What if it's something you don't want to hear? People, People want community and accountability until they have it. The work that's here in this passage is be discipled. You can't do this on your own. Older men, older women in here, are you discipling anyone? Anyone under your wing? I don't think I could help anyone. Well, let's trace that to sound doctrine. Because we know that God has invested everyone with the deposit of His grace and gifts. So let's believe the word. Let's move towards the call. Are you discipling anyone? Commit to be a disciple. Commit to make disciples. And keep in view that all of this is to adorn the gospel. All of this is to adorn the gospel. You know what's wonderful about that is is you say to yourself, well, I don't think I'm fit for doing uh, discipleship. You know my story? You know that, you know, well, I don't know all of your stories, but I can imagine it's like a lot of people's stories, kind of like everybody else's stories. And I imagine your family's is about as messed up as everybody's family, and, and, uh, and sin is kind of in every crevice, and uh, you need the Holy Spirit to do amazing work, and you're far more loved than you believe, and the Holy Spirit is far more powerful than you can imagine. I believe that's probably all true of us. As we believe those things afresh and renew them, let's walk in them. And as we walk in them, you know what we'll find? We'll be humbled all along the way, which will show what? The beauty of our need for the gospel. And all along the way, we'll see the Holy Spirit bear fruit. And you know what that will do? It'll show us the power of the beauty of the gospel. Whether you're perfectly successful or whether you fail in the midst of it, you know what you can do? Be an adornment for the gospel of Jesus Christ. I loved what D.L. Moody said years ago when he was getting critiques over his method of evangelism. And I think it was by some 
you know, wonderfully orthodox conservative Presbyterian who was critiquing him. And uh, D.L. Moody said to him, he said, you know, I, whatever you think about my model of evangelism, I like my model of evangelism better than you're not evangelizing. Ooh. There's some of us, you know what keeps us from doing what it is the Lord's calls to do? Because we're afraid to fail. And so we'd rather just sit on the sidelines and critique. But the work that the Lord is doing is calling you into this, His army, His church, to do the work of ministry and equip the saints for the work of ministry and to trust Him to do the real work along the way. You see, that is called faith. It's called living by faith, not by human resources. Not by human intelligence, not by human gift, not by human strength. It's called faith. It's called believing God at His Word and following Him. Friends, let me tell you, therein is freedom. Therein is joy. And therein is soundness. Health and growth for the people of God. More of it, I pray, for us as we go into this year. Father in heaven, would you... Take these seeds which are being planted and would you scatter the birds and would you pluck out the thorns and would you pilfer through the rocks and throw them out so that good soil would be all that remains. But the seed of the gospel would root and it would fruit and we would see in this congregation in the lives of your people beautiful adornment of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Come and do this we pray in Christ's name. Amen.